Welcome everyone to the Fandom Podcast Network special presentation of Time Warp 1984 Part 1, 40th Anniversary and Movies in Pop Culture. And we are discussing the month of January of 1984. In this episode of Time Warp, we're going to cover the entire year, of course, throughout the year. We're going to be actually doing this monthly now, covering each month, uh, which of course will cover, cover the movies because everything... In 1984, as of this year, in 2024, is celebrating its 40th anniversary. And as I mentioned, we're going to be discussing January of 1984. My name is Kevin. I'll be your host. I'd like to introduce my guest for the special time travel journey back in 1984. With me, as always, is my co-founder of the Fandom Podcast Network. I'd like to welcome Mr. Kyle Wagner. What's up, buddy? I'm doing well. Um, Kevin, I was told I could ask you for a phone number for Angel. <laughs> Watch out for her, man. <laughs> we'll get into that. How you doing, buddy? I am doing good. Ready for a new year of an old year in 1984. It's true. Yeah, and it's going to be a good year, guys. Just want to let you know. Just do a quick Google search right now of the movies that came out in 1984. It's going to blow your mind. But we can't start off this new year of 1984 without the queen of movie foo herself, Lacey Adderhold. Welcome back. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing really good. How do you feel? How do you guys feel about uh, doing this monthly now and covering each month? Because we're not going to just spend all the time on the movie. We're going to hit a little bit of the pop culture too, the TV shows, stuff like that. What do you guys think? I'm down. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, but I, I do have a question. Lacey, are, are, are you like going through the monk right now? You got your hood going on. Are you in the time warp There's um, movie no, monk? I don't have very good lighting in here. So I usually wear my hat, but then it makes me very dark. So I'm putting on, <laughs> on the hood because my hair is like, so I figured I have the, now, so. Kevin, be, before we go any further with time warp though, we, we must talk just briefly about what's behind Lacey because it's yeah. Out. Yeah, Lacey, uh, what you got back there? Tell the uh, video uh, watchers and the listeners, describe what you got going on behind you there. Well, I'm having my theater room put in. Nice. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And then I've got... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look at yeah. all those movies. All Look those, at all those movies. Yeah, and, and that's not even all of them. Yeah, all those boxes back there need to be un, um, un, unboxed and... <clears throat> alphabetized and crazy crazy so it's gonna be fun though i'm i'm, I'm working on it Getting when i come visit when i come visit uh the atlanta area where you are podcasting from is basically going to be where i'm sleeping so i'm just gonna right <laughs> i already I already claimed that room Sorry. <laughs> it's okay there's plenty of room for y'all to fight little cage match situation and then you know all right plan to have very comfy big big huge couch or maybe recliners or something there will be places this is I, what I'm going to call uh, like camping out. Right. So anytime somebody wants to come camping, then they that's can great. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm going to just spend, I'm going to pretend like I'm at a video store. Look, just looking at all the cool videos that you got. But before we continue, want to remind people, first of all, this is time warp 1984. This is the fandom flashback show here. Of course, discussing the movies and pop culture of 1984 here on the Fandom Podcast Network. And we did want to let people know we got a couple of previous time warps you might want to check out. 
Uh, we did, of course, Time Warp, Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series retrospective. I'm still continuing my rewatch on this because I know Lacey, when we did this podcast with my wife and you, Kyle, that we um, that you guys had already seen it recently. I have not. It's been a while. I'm on season five right now, and I'm really enjoying the series thus far. Season five is a big, It's a, there's some big crossovers, some big changes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, previously, we wrapped up 1983 in December of 1983, and we also discussed the not only the movies and pop culture, but we also discussed the award season, the movies that were awarded Oscars and or Razzies of 1983. Um, now, before uh, we, we discuss what's been happening here, um, what we need to do is, uh, you know, maybe do a little bit of time warping, but even before that guy. What we'd like to do is discuss maybe something we were we talked about last se- last year, but we didn't watch for one reason or another. And as we go into this, you know, there's a lot of things that we do is we'll discuss a film and throw up some pictures and some details uh, of films that we haven't seen and maybe convince each other. Maybe we should or move on from it. And well, one of the films last year that I couldn't find but then was recently released on Blu-ray and I special ordered it. And Lacey, you have it as well. And that is the man who wasn't there. Yes. Look at that. We both have the same copy and I have a pictures up there of what that is. And this of course is a comedy kind of actiony, uh, who done it, sort of speak came out in 1983, of course, starring Steve Gutenberg, Jeffrey Tambor, Art Hindle. And, what was really cool about this edition was that they actually released a 3d version of this film. You could watch it non 3d as well. Uh, and Lacey, first of all, did you get a chance to rewatch it before this podcast? Yes. I watched it three days ago. Okay, perfect. So what I liked about it was that not only did you have the option to watch it in two, two versions of 3d, you got these glasses here, the, the old school uh, red and blue lens glasses. You could watch that version in 3D or the, uh, as I call, nicknamed the Real D 3D, where if you have those Real D 3D glasses, you can watch that version as well. And I'm putting on my 3D glasses there. Uh, <laughs> Lacey, what were your thoughts on The Man Who Wasn't There? I thought it was fun. Um With the one exception of, you know, in the 80s, a lot of times they would um, sacrifice plot points just to get to the, like the happy ending. Um, yeah. I, I think that um, he went from being late to his own wedding to sleeping with the bride's sister <laughs> in like a day and a half, which is how long the movie takes. Right. And, and it's like, okay. Um, well, you know, his wife really wasn't the right type of person for him. <laughs> the whole like, I love you. I know, I love you. Like that just kind of became like, okay, so you just switched up the other. Okay. A, a brief yeah. synopsis real quick. A State Department employee finds an egg-shaped device with a green fluid inside that makes the person who drinks it invisible. He finds himself being chased by foreign agents who want uh, who, who want the substance. And... <laughs> And what I find interesting about this movie was like, why was it showing on television? Why wasn't it showing on cable or like uh, basic cable with maybe some stuff edited out? And I, I think I figured it out, guys. Hmm. First of all, there's a, a lot of really clever 3D sight gags. There's a few scenes, too, that aren't very 
good. You can see the strings holding up stuff. Mm -hmm. But there is extended scenes of nudity in this film that last for quite a bit of time. Hence yeah. the reason why it's rated R and hence the reason why they probably didn't make it to basic cable with commercials and only a few scenes cut out because some of it's kind of, you know, cause he's not the only one that drinks it. The girl that he ends up, I guess the sister yeah. or whatever ends up getting it. And she, it, you end up naked when you're, 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 uh, you it know. doesn't make your clothes invisible. So if you yeah. want to be invisible, you have to be naked. <laughs> yeah, but then exactly. you don't know when it's going to wear off. So yeah. like every time you turn around, there's another scene where someone's going, oh, uh, oh. And then sometimes they're just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I ended, I find, I've actually enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. Uh, yeah. It wasn't the greatest movie ever, but it was entertaining to see all of the, because this movie was made to be in 3D for obvious yeah. reasons. There's a lot of sight gags in it. So yeah. Yeah. The plot line is basically Chuck. But instead of a nanovirus, it's like a liquid. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's worth keeping on physical media. I enjoyed my copy. I'm going to keep it around definitely for sure. And Steve Gutenberg's always fun to watch. Like he's always like, even, even when he's saying something like dirty or maybe like a little bit lascivious, he's just got that smile where it's like, what? I can say this because I have a big smile and I'm so nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's kind of a lost gem, so I'm glad that they yeah. uh, someone put it on physical media. Kyle, well, I, I just want to throw in because I, I remember seeing this movie a long time ago. I think it was a, a, a rental or such. And I, I remember, I remember what you guys were talking about with like why it wouldn't come to break basic cable or anything like that. I'm thinking the movie time would be at least cut by a full quarter. <laughs> yeah, <of> that. but <laughs> Kevin. I wanted to bring up another point before you hit that magical time travel button on all of our of course. around here, because this is, a, this is our first time travel of the new year, but it is a very special year of time travel on the fandom podcast network. Ah, I see where you're getting at. Yes, it is, sir. Um, on the, for this year, time travel is going to be a big theme on the fandom podcast network, especially on our culture class show where we are going to be starting on our next episode of culture clash live covering movies that deal with time travel. Uh, and we're kicking it off with the uh, classic time travel movie that I got Lacey turned on to, and you turned on to called sound of thunder, but we're going Two, to be covering 2004. I believe that movie came yes, out yeah. 2004. So it is an anniversary year for 20 year anniversary of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so we're going to the underrated gem. Like the cast alone was like, cause I, I buy things because of actors. I'll follow actors and I'll just go through their list and buy everything they have because I love them. And I had bought everything that Edward Norton had ever done. Well, hold on. Don't give away too much right that. now. Save save that for Culture Clash. I'm not Edward Norton. <laughs> I, just, Burns, I, so. I, just I just wanted to say that we are going to be running souped up time machines all year on the Fandom Podcast Network. Yes. Yes. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to be watching some films I haven't seen and uh, having fun with time travel uh, throughout the entire series. And uh, I think we're going to come up with a couple of like segment topics on how they handled the time travel and whether it was cool or what, you know, how they did it. And so it'll be fun. Make sure you check us out. And um, the next episode of Culture Clash will be diving into that. So I'm excited for that. Is it possible for you to have the scene from... Uh, I think it's Avengers Endgame where they talk about all the different heart, all the different um, movies that do it, and where he's like, "That's not how it works. That's not how it works. That's not, what about Die Hard? Wait, that's not what." Did you just quote Hot Tub Time Machine? <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, definitely. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, 
This is Time Warp 1984 Part 1, our 40th anniversary of the movies and pop culture. And this is January 94. But first, let's take a step back into time. And, uh, you know, let's fuel up that DeLorean with a flux capacitor. Slingshot around the sun aboard a captured Klingon bird of prey. Take a step into that blue police box or phone booth. Or step into that quantum leap accelerator. Or in my favorite, take a dip in that hot tub time machine as we travel back to 1984. We're going to remind you of what was happening in pop culture, sports, politics, television, and of course, the movies. All right. What's happened in 1984? Apparently there was a movie called 1984 and we'll get to that later in the year. Uh, but what, what was going on? Um, you know, some people were kind of going like, you know, not sure if 1984 or brave new world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we're, we're going to have some fun talking about all the pop culture here. And back in 1984 stuff happened, you know, uh, world series champions were the Detroit Tigers. NBA champions were Boston Celtics. Um, Stanley cup champions were Edmonton Oilers. Uh, a lot of cool toys and games, uh, care bears, cabbage patch kids, Charmkins, get along gang, GI Joe. We'll get into that a little bit more, of course. But we also have some like average cost and stuff like that. We always love to talk about that. Your average movie ticket, guys, was $2.50. $2.50 to see all these films. <laughs> Such a deal. Kyle, uh, where's, our, where's our gallon of gas? How much, how much are we at right now? Uh, uh, well, here in Florida, it's about $3.15 a gallon. You're, you're, you're in the place where it's bad, my friend. <laughs> Well, back in 1984, the gallon of gas was $1.10. It's slowly starting to go up a little bit. Still starting to go up a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, and your average cost of a new house was about $86,000. Uh, average monthly rent was about $350. Uh, and then we get into uh, a little bit of world news. Of course, our president was Ronald Reagan. Vice president was George H.W. Bush. Uh, Warren E. Berger was our chief of justice. And of course, Mr. Tip O'Neill was the speaker of the house. So after a long history of religion and politics, the United States restored diplomatic relations on January 10th, Holy See, the Vatican, Vatican. I didn't know that was a, didn't know they were, uh, having, you know, at odds at that time. Didn't, didn't know that. But guys, there's something that happened that really shaped a huge part of my fandom. Kyle, go you can just go. You can. go sports ball, go. <laughs> yes, this is sports ball. <laughs> Kyle's going to do a face palm. That's fine. Uh, but hey, as I, the note taker here, you guys may know I'm a Raiders fan. And I've been, I was a Raiders fan since 80. But this is the one I remember the most, which is in Tampa, Tampa Stadium. January 22nd, 1984. Kyle, you had not moved to Tampa yet, right? Or my No, I, 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 was, I was still in Alaska. And, okay. you know, thank, thank, thankfully, you know, I, I was at that point where it was like, mm, okay, I understand. I'm, I'm getting into football here because you were a couple of years older than me at the time. So, so you know, I, I didn't have to deal with the pain, full pain of watching the Raiders win the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, the Raiders played the Redskins, who were highly um, favored in this. Uh, Lacey, yes, you had a question? And this is the last time the Raiders won the Super Bowl, right? Correct, which is very painful to remember. Thank you for okay, bringing sorry, that up. Gonna... <laughs> in, in, in other words, this is Kevin just trying to remember the last glorious time of being a Raider fan. 
Darn right, darn tootin'. <laughs> but this this one was special for for me because my favorite Raider of all time uh, did one of the most famous runbacks for a touchdown, and uh, and they basically kicked the butt of the former uh, champion uh, Redskins and. Marcus Whoa. Allen, my favorite player of all time, ran that famous touchdown. And I did want to mention, too, actually, the cover of Sports Illustrated showed Jack Squarek shocks the Redskins with his interception. And I just want to say rest in peace, Jack, because he just passed away this month, actually. Aww. So, uh, yeah. So um, that was a huge deal. Uh, big reason why I'm a Raiders fan. And uh, I had to throw that in here with some pop culture because, of course, I'm a huge Raiders fan. So uh, thank you, you for indulging me there. Time. And go go Super Bowl 18 MVP Marcus Allen now also in the Hall of Fame. All right. We have some celebrities that were born in 84, guys. We have A.J. Hawk, football player and sports analyst. Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live, actress and comedian. Sam Richardson, actor, comedian, writer, and producer. Luke Grimes, actor. Ashley Williams, actress. And Kid Cudi, actor, rapper, record producer, and singer, songwriter. Nice. These are, make, these are making me feel a little old, guys. <laughs> I mean, I'll next we have. Next, we have a couple of deaths, a few deaths in 1984. I don't know a lot of these guys, but I do know one of them. Jack LaRue passed away. Uh, he was born in 1902 as an American actor. Uh, also passed away, uh, Johnny Weissmuller, uh, American swimmer. Jackie Wilson, American, uh, American singer. Uh, and Francis Goodrich, American screenwriter. Luke Kelly, lead singer of the Irish band The Dubliners. And George Harmon Cox, American writer. And don't uh, forget, Johnny Weissmuller, he was Tarzan. Oh, is that yeah. right? Thank you. I'm mm -hmm. see, Lacey, that's why we have you because I did not, I did not remember that. So yeah. Yeah. Well. All right. Next, we have some tech here, guys. Some important news on tech. <laughs> Very important news. All right, January twenty second, Apple nineteen eighty four commercial is aired during uh, the Super Bowl on January twenty second, nineteen eighty four. Earlier that month, Apple's Macintosh computer was already the most anticipated personal computer release ever. As part of the rollout, Apple commissioned director Ridley Scott to direct a one-minute commercial for the Mac. The commercial, which cost at least $300,000. Ooh, that was a lot of, lot of moolah. In 84? Dang. Yeah. The, dispo the dystopian world portrayed in the advert is inspired by George Orwell's novel, 1984, with the role of Big Brother being filled by a man dictating to the masses from a giant screen only to have a hammer-wielding woman, woman run up and destroy the screen. Bring the people. The Big Brother motif was a veiled reference to IBM, Apple's main competitor. The commercial shown only once is considered a major turning point in the marketing of computers. The ad, of course, directed by Ridley Scott, is met with both criticism and praise and replayed on a numerous news channels due to the stir it caused. Now, two days later, Steve Jobs officially launched the Macintosh PC. And on January 24th, Apple's Macintosh computer goes on sale priced at $2,500. Look at Steve Jobs with hair. I know, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like. If you're not, if you're, is this going to be, is this on video? We're doing a video, but there's also an audio, right? So if you're yes, not watching yeah. the video, you gotta, you gotta go look at the, the video because 
Steve Jobs has hair. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, did you know anyone at the time that had this computer? No, because um, as, first of all, let's talk about, I want to ask, talk about this ad real quick because this ad was a game changer. Uh, it changed how advertising was done, period. But the problem with this ad is people were like, I don't get it. <laughs> There's a lot of confusion about this ad. Yeah. Um, and then you add in the price point on the Mac. And yeah, let's not remember, it wasn't too far after this that Apple kind of hit on some hard times for a little while as, you know, especially towards the end of the 80s. But yeah, this this, this was this was an interesting time. And that, that, again, that, that ad was a game changer across the way and changed Super Bowl advertisements for forever. Lacey. Okay. Just, just, just another note about the photo. If the wall behind him was red, this could be from the shining. (laughs) He's wearing like the suit and the way he's like standing. He looks like the bartender from the shining. You know what I keep thinking? I keep thinking this is the computer that was used in the scene of uh, Star Trek The Voyage Home when Scotty goes, computer, and he's holding up the mouse. <laughs> World's largest mouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, guys. We have some products that came out in 19. 19- I remember these very well. The first one is the Abdominizer. And then we had the Adidas Forum, the simple little abdominizer. (laughs) Abdominizer. Yeah, you would hold it and then kind of like hold your legs up and then you'd rock back. And I remember seeing these in thrift stores like all over the place. Uh, Lacey? Yeah, from now on when we do photos, let's put something in the photo for size because (laughs) I thought that was a, 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 we're going to go with athletic supporter. Well, let's just say you put your butt in that. (laughs) I thought it was a gentleman's um, athletics. Wrong wrong side, Lacey. It was a couple of feet wide and a couple of feet long, basically. But yeah, I I I should have had a picture of someone actually using it. So yeah. Got it. Uh, it. Who who had the the shoes, the Adidas Forum? Those are popular. Uh, I I have one word and three letters for you, Kevin. Run (laughs) DMC. All right, guys, let's go ahead and hit some toys. Totally tubular 80s toys. Kyle is ready for this one here. I'm going to let him talk about the first one. Toys introduced in 1984, Transformers Generation 1. Now, Kyle, before you go deep into this, I do want to mention something. That there's a few of these Transformers in the front of this one Transformers picture here that were very easy to transform and... um, also very similar to GoBots, but go ahead. <laughs> well, that was the mini spy line. Transformers actually spun out from a Japanese uh, toy called Diaclone, and um, they mixed in a few other things. Generation 1, 40-year anniversary of Transformers, which makes me feel old, but um, very popular. A lot of die, compared to today's toys, made with a lot of die cast. They were amazing. That first generation... Uh, started something, but it, it's the it's the second round that comes out later in 1985 with Dinobots that really puts Transformers on the map. But one of the all time greatest toy lines ever, one of the all time greatest toy franchises ever, and still going strong. But Kevin, you got a couple other interesting ones up here, and I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, <laughs> please do go. <laughs> okay, as a kid, I was always into anything robotic, so I was a big fan of the Star Wars. 
and they were very cool toys, had wind-up mechanisms in, in them. You, their arms and legs came off, and you could change pieces on, on the different robots. But, Kevin, there were so many cool-looking Star Yars, and you took, like, the worst one ever made. <laughs> hey, what's wrong with Destructor here? Destructor is showing his stuff. He's got the little spinny, like, you know... Uh, with knife gold thing, he's holding his arms up. I mean, he looks pretty cool. Come on, he's got little explosions uh, behind him. Go, go, go look at go find some images of other Star Wars. And you'll be like, <laughs> even the battle platform was awesome looking on that. And then, of course, finally, we have superpowers, which this is an interesting time for comic book hero toys because you had the superpowers line tied in with super friend, the kind of the end of the run of super friends, and they had little action things. But Marvel was also putting out their own line of action figures for called uh, Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars, and they were kind of going head to head with each other. But the superpowers line had the action movements, so it kind of got the edge there. Finding these in mint condition, they're worth quite a penny. I know my favorite yeah, guy's the Flash. Because he, he, instead of having the punch, he squeezed his arms and his legs went. <laughs> I remember that. All right. <laughs> One of my favorite segments, of course, of this is when we hit in the uh, the pop culture, but more specifically, the music and the music news. A lot of huge hits in 1984. We got some music news, of course. January 11th, BBC Radio 1, DJ Mike Reed announces on the air that he will not play the single Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood because of its suggested, suggested lyrics. The BBC takes a total ban on the record at about the same time. Now, now, the following week, January 21st, Relax launches number one in the UK singles charts despite the BBC band. It will spend a total of 42 weeks in the top 40. You guys remember this song? Because I sure do. I remember the song, but I think I might have been too young to know that it was dirty. I have no, I mean, I'm thinking about it now and I'm going, like I just know the chorus, and I don't think that there's any. I don't I have no idea what it's talking about. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it. Yeah, well, we're not gonna say what it's uh, talking about <laughs> here on this show, but uh, <laughs> yeah, just go back and listen. Look at Google the lyrics, and you'll uh, you'll get an idea. Okay, there. okay that's Kevin, good. this just this goes back to the classic music history thing. If you ban it, it just makes it that much more popular. This is very true. Also, too, guys. Duran Duran was taking off. We'll touch on that a little bit more in the next episode. But January 17th, the Sing Blue Silver Tour continues on to Japan and North America as Duran Duran becomes the first act to utilize live video cameras and screens at their show. They break every existing merchandise record during this tour. And uh, this is a picture I have of Duran Duran, uh, a headler. For, for this tour here. And it says at the beginning says behind the scenes, action documentary images and music from the 1984 American tour on video. Now still available on stereo VHS and hi-fi beta also available dancing on the Valentine video and a performance album arena. <laughs> uh, on a personal note, guys, if I wanted to talk to any girl, even like whatever, I had to somehow know who Duran Duran was and I pretend to be a Duran Duran fan so I could talk to a couple girls, but it ended up working out in the long run because I actually like Duran Duran and they're awesome. So 
Now, this was huge news, guys. It was all over the news. January 27th, Michael Jackson's scalp is burned during the filming of a Pepsi commercial, and he is admitted to the hospital. Around this time, Jackson also releases the title track from his album Thriller as the LP's final single. Kyle, this was huge. And the fact that he's still wearing like that famous like sequence glove and you would see like behind the scenes footage of what was happening. This was a big deal at the time, Kyle. It, this was a very big deal. I mean, this was huge news everywhere. I mean, this opened the nightly news. What's interesting about this too is this is the moment where a lot of people feel like this is maybe where Michael Jackson started could have noticeably go off the rails a little bit. He, the plastic surgery started big time after this and um yeah so th this is a very interesting point in history but it was an absolutely huge deal michael jackson was by far the biggest act in the world at this point the king of pop lacy do you remember this event oh yeah oh yeah um wasn't it i feel like it was Haley eisenberg in the commercial with him the I little girl you know jesse eisenberg Sister? At least one of them. I don't know if she know. Th this was the one that he was with uh, the rest of his brothers uh, in it. I, I don't remember. She he had okay. done several commercials and she was okay. in it, but I don't think this was the one that she was in. I could be, okay. could be wrong, but uh, this was the one that had the Jacksons in the background, Jackson five. And, uh, mm -hmm. and yeah, so I remember correctly. I could be wrong. I have no idea. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was, because I remember later, I remember the there was a scandal kind of situation where they were like, well, we got enough footage, so we'll just make the, they cut the commercial anyway. Yeah. And I remember there being like kind of some snippy opinions about that because, you know, someone was injured during the situation, you know, whatever. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Continuing on with music, the top songs of 1984, the Billboard Hot 100. And we like to pick a few to discuss as we're going to be doing this monthly now. So at 100 through 93, we've got Yamo Be There, James Ingram and Michael McDonald. 99, Rock Me Tonight, Billy Squire. Number 98, When You Close Your Eyes, Night Ranger. 97, Magic, The Cars. 96, Major Tom, Coming Home, Peter Schilling. 95, New Moon on Monday by Duran Duran. 94 on the dark side, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown, Beaver Brown Band. And is. number 93, Undercover of the Nights by the Rolling Stones. Kyle, what a couple of these are your favorites like these? Um, Ground Control, the Major Tom. That's always a great one. But come on, on the dark side, Kevin. Eddie and the Cruisers, man. Eddie and the Cruisers, man. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, what about you, Lacey? You got a couple favorites here? Same. The only two that I actually recognize are on the dark side and, um, and, um, major Tom, but I mean, I don't even know the other five, six that are there. I, I, I'm familiar with all of these major Tom by Peter Schilling is kind of a little hidden gem, uh, but it's very catchy. Uh, the only one I don't like, and I always, I always think of the movie 40 year old virgin is Yamo be there by, uh, I just thought it was a Michael McDonald song. He did real James, James Ingram did it with him, but it reminds me of that song, 40 year old virgin. And, uh, who, who is it? Um, um Ant-Man himself. Um, Paul Rudd. Paul, Rudd. Paul Rudd's like, if, if you're going to play Yamo be there one more time, I'm a Yamo burn this place down. <laughs> cause they kept playing that song. Uh, cause it was like at a store like Best Buy. Yeah, You're always playing the same stuff on the screens all the time. So it was very, very, very fun. Okay. Hmm. 
let's uh let's hit some tv guys 1984 in television now we got some interesting stuff to talk about because what a lot of people may or may not know is that when you release new shows, you always usually released it during the fall, right around September. That was like new TV time or your favorite TV shows were returning. However, some shows were canceled at the end of that year before they ever got to see the next year because of horrible ratings and what have you. So they always had shows that were kind of like in backup that would be mid-season replacements and a more I think most of these that we're going to talk about here were mid-season replacements because they came out in 1984 in January and it's quite interesting the the series that we have here and the first one is Riptide and this lasted a couple seasons uh from 84 through 86 I, and uh, Lacey? It. it's right there I can see it yeah on your collection yeah so <laughs> I actually had never seen a full episode of this before. Oh, it's so fun. I went and watched, uh, I think it was probably like the two hour premiere. Cause it, it definitely was longer than a regular uh, episode. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I recognized some of the filming locations in uh, the LA uh, Harbor arena area. It was really, really cool. And for those of you that don't know what it's about, a case of private investigations agency run by two Vietnam War veterans and their computer geek friend from high school armed with toughness, their own helicopter and the third's technical ability. That's from IMDb. It's kind of bad though. <laughs> it was paired with Simon and Simon. So you had like the, the private investigators and then the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, we have a little bit of trivia on here. Yeah. Um, this is one of T three TV series that, uh, partly influenced by the success of the theatrical movie Blue Thunder, like Airwolf in 1984 on CBS and Blue Thunder in 1984 on ABC. Reptide initially featured prominent use of a helicopter, although whereas those other two instances portrayed super slick high-tech choppers, the Reptide helicopter, the Screaming Mimi, was clunky and old and had trouble just staying in the sky. Prominent featuring, prominent featuring of the helicopter was somewhat dropped later in favor of more standard private eye car chases and such. AKA they had budget cuts. And By the way, their helicopter is freaking awesome. And I want one and I want to live in it. <laughs> and they also really kind of like gauge towards the riptide um, kind of moniker by doing a lot of boat stuff. A lot of, a lot of, you know, one of the guys lived on a boat and they, yeah. you know, it was constantly getting like broken into and blown up. And he was always having to, Yeah. Uh, of course, creators are Stephen J. Cannell and Frank Lupo, stars Perry King, Joe Penny, and Tom Bray. Um, I just, I, I, I love Perry King. I'm a big fan of his. And he also has a Star Wars tie. Uh, in the original radio dramas, he played Han Solo. So, always uh, appreciate him. Next, we had Night Court. Lasted only, what, a couple episodes, Kyle? No. 1984 to 1992. An eccentric, fun-loving judge presides over an urban night court and all the silliness going on there. Uh, of course, major stars were Harry Anderson, John Larroquette, Richard Maul, Marky Post, among most there. And Kyle, you have some trivia for us, I'm sure, because there was some, a lot of changeover in the last first few seasons. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to give me a minute here because i got to flex my night court love here because night court was one of the greatest sitcoms of all time in the 80s and um, one of my favorites. But I'll give you some of this trivia because – 
Believe it or not, Night Court really didn't get its cast fully set till about the third season. The show featured over five cast changes within the first year, including six female leads being featured before Marky Post was settled on. Post was the producer's original choice in season two, but could not get out of her the Fall Guy contract. Gail Strickland played the public defender in the pilot episode before being replaced by Paula Kelly, who was then replaced in season two by Ellen Foley before Post joined in season three. Post did guest star in a season two episode as Christine Sullivan before, just before Foley's arrival. Two clerk clerks were featured, but first Karen Austin and then Charles Robinson beginning in season two. Three bailiff changes were Selma Diamond, who died after the show's second season, Lawrence Halop, who died the following year, and then Marshall Warfield, who remained until the show's finished. The only cast members to remain from the pilot until the finale were Harry Anderson, John Larroquette, and Richard Mall. Now, I've, I've, I've just got to say, personally, Night Court is one of my all-time favorite sitcoms. Um, John, this, this show, to me, John Larroquette as Dan Fielding is one of the greatest sitcom characters in, his, in the history of sitcoms. But this show just worked. The cast had great chemistry. Harry Anderson was wonderful. Um, the sad part of it is, of the original cast now, only uh, Marshall Warfield, of this cast in the picture, only Marshall Warfield and John Larroquette are still, with, still us. with us. Yeah. And they have rebooted Night Court with the daughter uh, of Harry Anderson's character, and John Larroquette has returned to that show. Uh, Lacey, your thoughts on Night Court? I loved Night Court. I, I remember this being one of the very, like, one of the ones that we would sit up in the, the bed, like, at my grandparents' house. Like, all the cousins would, like, jump up on the, the big king size bed and watch these uh, before we were told to go to bed at night because it was, I think this was like an 8 30 show or a 9 30 show. 8.30. 30 was usually where yeah. when it went. Yeah. Yeah. It was this. We were allowed to watch, you know, this and then maybe MASH. Yeah. I I caught onto it a little bit late, but ended up watching it, I believe, until the end. And, of course, I did catch it on reruns. And, uh, Kyle, you probably are along with me. We're, we have big crushes on Marky Post, too. Oh, oh, oh yes. Uh, but she absolutely. was hilarious. She was really funny, too. Very talented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to I just want to throw out the the remake that's going on uh you were talking about you play it, Melissa Roush from Big Bang Theory plays Harry's uh Harry Anderson's daughter in this in the remake yeah. and she's actually personally responsible for it getting made. She's one of the executive producers on the show and really pushed pushed for it. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Lacey, what did you just say? I didn't hear you. I mean, I was just going to say that I mean, John LaRaquette could make anything interesting. I mean, he's got such a like crazy and varied career. Yeah. Um, most people just think that he's the funny guy. I mean, he was the, wasn't he the, he was the voiceover in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. He, he was, was the narrator. The narrator or whatever. Like he does all, I mean, he's done all kinds of weird stuff and his turn in blind date is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah. So, so <laughs> real quick, uh, you talk about John Lerkep, um, he said in an interview, he basically did the voiceover for Texas Chainsaw Massacre for a bag of weed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, guys. Next, we've got Blue Thunder. These are, of course, uh, films making it to TV adaptations. Uh, only lasted 11 episodes, guys. Premiered on January 6th. And Blue Thunder is an advanced prototype police helicopter and their ground support crew, Battle Crime, stars James Farentino, Dana Carvey. Yes, that Dana Carvey. Sandy McPeak, Dick Buckus, football legend, and Bubba Smith football legend as well 
While the series was canceled after 11 episodes, it was still brought, bought by several overseas networks soon after its U.S. broadcast. And uh, the J-F, JAFO acronym, Wonder Love's nickname used in the original film, Blue Thunder, meaning just another effing observer, was changed in TV series to just another frustrated observer in order to avoid profanity. Guys, I never watched one episode of this. I, I don't know if I care. I'm not a huge fan of the film, as we talked about last year. Kyle, did you watch this? I think I've seen an episode or two in reruns. The problem was with Blue Thunder was it was absolutely killed by a show we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Okay. Lacey, did you see Blue Thunder? I don't know that I did. I feel like I feel like all, there were so many helicopter things at one at one time. It just I feel like they all kind of mushed together in my brain because I was like 11 at this point or 10 and a half. Well, well, you're not wrong. And we will touch on that shortly. <laughs> this, is, this is 1984. Isn't this like, like the year or maybe a couple years later where Dana Carvey got SNL, right? Yeah. 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 He well, maybe, went, he he got, maybe he took off from this and got SNL from it. Who knows? Yeah, possibly. Okay, guys, next we have one of my favorites, The Master. Uh, 1984 only, unfortunately, lasted 13 episodes. And it's about an aging American ninja master and his headstrong young apprentice as they search for the elder, man, elder man's daughter and, of course, fight some bad guys. Stars Lee Van Cleef, Timothy Van Patten, and ninja martial arts master Sho Kasugi. Now, I want to show you guys something real quick. Remove the picture here, and I want to show you guys this. Uh, this is the Master Television Series, entire 13 episodes on DVD. It's also available on Blu-ray by KL, by the way. Check that nice. out. Nice, nice. But also, I found the VHS tape of the Master as available with two episodes because the first episode guest stars a young Demi Moore. There you go. I bought this at Amoeba Records. Yeah, still kept the sticker there, right there. And I watched the first three episodes again. It was kind of fun uh, going back and rewatching mm -hmm. that. Uh, Kyle, do you remember The Master? Oh, do I remember The Master? I love The Master. The Master was one of my favorite shows. But you know what killed The Master? The Master aired on Sunday nights. You know what else <laughs> happens on Sundays? The NFL. So The Master never got a fair shake because it was constantly either being delayed or moved to another night that nobody knew about. And yeah, the Sunday night movie was very popular at the time. Yeah. I think they had oh. a, was it 60 minutes also on Sunday night? Yeah, it was tough. Wasn't the Disney Disney family hour was on Sunday yeah. nights too, right? Yeah. 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 The master would come on usually like nine, nine o'clock or so, mm -hmm. but yeah, it it was so good, and I think if it was actually to come out in this day and age, it would probably be highly successful. But it tried to capitalize on '80s Ninja, and the network just didn't ever get it got fireflied, as I like to call the, it. When I was watching the first three episodes, I I kept getting distracted because I was trying to. It was very easy to point out when Lee Van Cleef was replaced by his stunt double. <laughs> Or speaking Shou of, you have some you have some trivia on this, Kyle. Yeah, Sho Kasugi also doubled as Lee Van Cleef's stunt double on a few episodes that he was not featured or did not appear in, as he also handled the stunt work for the show as well. Kevin, one other thing about the master, <laughs> might it have been 
the establishment for Highlander TV flashbacks because the master had a lot of flashbacks in it. You know what? Uh, it's it's possible because this stuff came out in 84 and Highlander came out in 86. So, yeah. Uh, but there's one more piece of trivia there, Kyle, that uh, I can uh, contribute to uh, doing myself. Okay. You got it? Um, In the UK, the series shown late at night by some ITV broadcasters was blamed for a sudden interest in ninja throwing stars among teenage boys. Hmm. In the mid-80s, teachers reported an upsurge in confiscating poor-quality homemade stars made in metalwork classes. Um, Kevin, I'm somehow thinking your throwing star did not have the proper balance. No, but I did make um, illegal throwing stars in my metal shop, and we were told not to make throwing stars in metal shop. Because it was very easy. You had the sheet metal, and you had the sheet metal cutters. It was real easy, and yes, they were getting confiscated left or right. <laughs> uh, now, Kevin, one other thing I want to bring up real quick about the master. Um, Timothy Van Patten was in it. I don't know how many children it's it's is it's it's neck and neck between Van Patten and Deloise children in in TV shows in the 80s. And early yes. 90s. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the first few episodes. Uh, I'm looking forward to going back and watching it. Lacey, uh, have you seen the master? Not a single episode. Um, I really wasn't into the ninja thing when I was 10. So I don't, and, and from what you're talking about with the bad special effects or stunts or whatever, like, you know, replacements and stuff, I don't know that I will, I feel like it would require some nostalgia okay. for me to enjoy watching okay. it. So I don't know if it would hold up on first viewing 40 years later. So what you're saying, Lacey, is that I, see, I have the Blu-ray uh, complete series and I also have the DVD. So what you're saying is you don't want my extra copy of the DVD entire series. If I were to offer it will be wasted on me. <laughs> okay. Well, it would probably look delightful in my library, but I mean, let's face it there. I'm sure someone out there is, is all right. Wants it. I'd hate to take something that somebody else would want. Next we have Airwolf guys debut January 22nd lasted a little bit longer. 1984 to 1986. The TV series did. Stringfellow Hawk is an expert helicopter pilot and gets to fly an ultra-advanced military helicopter. Airwolf, his employees are the firm, a division of the CIA, and his missions tend to be a, an intelligent gathering nature. His burning desire, however, is to locate his brother St. John missing in action in Vietnam. Creator, famous creator Donald P. Belisario stars Jan Michael Vincent, Alex Cord, and Ernest Borgnine. Kyle, before we get in the show, you got some trivia for us here. I have some trivia for for this here. J. Michael Vincent's addiction to alcohol and drugs was a constant problem during filming. Airwolf would be the last major leading role for Jan Michael Vincent. After the show was canceled, the chopper was sold to a German firm and became an air ambulance. It crashed during a thunderstorm on June 9th, 1992, killing all three crew members. Oh, man, um, that's sad. Kevin, Kevin, I have another extra piece of trivia on this because... Here you talk about it going through 1986. Airwolf actually technically went through 1987. CBS canceled Airwolf in 1986. However, it was then picked up in syndication by the USA Network. And they showed they did a season four where in the opening episode, they killed everybody from the original Airwolf cast. <laughs> and it was the show was taken over by, I believe, one of the Van Patten boys boys as well as playing of course jan michael vincent's long-lost brother sinjin who got rescued in the first episode but during the rescue 
of course, Stringfellow gets killed. And <laughs> there, let me just tell you how the, 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 the effects in the final season, because they gave Airwolf a laser and it was really, really bad. <laughs> so they're trying to find a way to definitely get rid of Jan Michael Vincent here. Cause yeah, he had yeah. his issues for, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but so I think it's safe to say also one of the greatest theme songs in television history. It's true. Yeah. Lacey. What? So his name was Stringfellow mm-hmm. and his brother's name was Sinjin, which is actually the nickname for St. John, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sinjin and St. Okay. Just going, hmm. Okay. All right, guys. Next, next we have Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer. Came out January 28th. Ran from 84 through 89. Hammer is back in a smashing new series. The killers can't scare him away. The ladies can't leave him alone. And the danger never stops. Tonight, a trail of murder leads Hammer into a deadly trap. I'm reading, of course, from the newspaper ad here. 10 p.m. CBS. Uh, and this, is, of course, was the, the cases of Mickey Spillane's classic private eye character. Mike Hammer is a two-fisted private eye. He's tough. He's honest. The girls love him. The series follows his exploits as he solves a variety of crimes, most of which involve murder somewhere along the way, of course, starring Stacey Keach, Lindsay Bloom, and Don Stroud. This kind of became Stacey Keach's uh, signature thing. Uh, he, this is what he was known for. My dad used to watch these. It wasn't really my thing, but... Uh, he kept doing this for a while. Um, I think he came back and did these like several TV two-hour movies and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Kyle, you've got some trivia for us. Yeah. There were fewer episodes in the 1984 season due to the fact that Stacey Keach had to serve a six-month jail sentence in England after being convicted of cocaine possession. <laughs> I didn't think they arrested people in the 80s for cocaine possession, Kevin. In the I know, UK. right? <laughs> in the UK, man. They don't tolerate also, the mysterious and stunningly beautiful woman known as the face that Mike frequently sees around town was played by the stunning, beautiful actress, Donna Denton. She later, fe- she's later featured in season three, a face in the night. What do you guys remember of this? Have you ever, was your dad into this? Kyle? This feels like a, this always felt like a dad show. You know, your it dad always felt like a dad show. show. My dad really wasn't into it. I was never big into this. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of a mixed bag on Stacy Keach anyway. There's some stuff he's done I've liked, but for the most part, I'm like, okay, whatever. But I, I remember CBS advertised the hell out of this show constantly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to get into some uh, our top rated uh, television series from 84 through 85. And of course, we are going to tackle a few at a time. Of course, Cagney and Lacey. Uh, very popular, lasted from 81 to uh, 88. And we also had Trapper John MD at number 29. It went from 1979 to 86. And then next we had Hill Street Blues, which uh, debuted January of 1981 and went through 1987. Guys, any thoughts on these three shows? Were you fans of any of these? Not at the time because of just the content. Um, I. I Cagney and Lacey, I know, was a big hit. Trapper John, this mash spinoff. I would probably say the one I was most familiar with was Hill Street Blues because my parents were big fans of that show. Gotcha. The, let's see. So Trapper John was the spinoff from MASH, which didn't hold the same amount of, you know, um, love in our family. But um, I just got the whole series of Hill Street Blues on, on, um, in a box set. The Cagney and Lacey thing, I loved it because nobody else had the name Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> because 
that was my middle name. I went, my first name's Jennifer. And of course, everyone's name was Jennifer in the 1980s. Like all of right. them. Oh yes. Lots and lots of Jennifer. class, 20 kids, eight girls, six of them named Jennifer, like for real. Yep. Um, right. So the fact that there was someone named Lacey, I was like, Ooh, that, you know, that's awesome. And then come to find out that's her last name. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> anyway. Fine. All right, guys, let's get into the main segment of the show. Let's talk about the movies of 1984. So we have some 84 celebrity film debuts. We like to mention a few uh, during each show and a few of those out there was Marshall Bell, who was in Birdie, Jeffrey Blake, The Last Starfighter, Jesse Bradford, Falling in Love, Ralph Brown, The Hit, and Simon Callow in Amadeus. Now, we will say, too, of course, this is the Fandom Podcast Network, and uh, this is Time Warp 1984 Part 1, the 40th anniversary, discussing everything that is happening in January of 84. And we do, we are returning to the cutting room floor. There's a couple of movies after we talked about the main set of movies that did make it to the cutting room floor that we're not going to spend hardly any time on. So, just a little tease there. The first film, though, guys, I tried to find a way to watch this. I could not find it anywhere. This came out January 1st called Ordeal by Innocence, a thriller suspense. Uh, and it uh, is starring Donald Sutherland, Faye Dunaway, and Christopher Plummer, based on, of course, the Agatha Christie novel. Uh, directors were Desmond Davis and Alan Birkinshaw. And it's uh, the plot synopsis says Dr. Calgary returns home from an expedition and goes looking for a hitchhiker whom he gave a lift two years previously in order to return the man's address book. He discover discovers the man has been executed for his mother's murder. Ooh, Lacey, I'm going to go to you first. Have you heard of this film? This, this also has a, a very young Ian McShane in it too. I had heard of it. I I hadn't seen it, and I remember looking at it and going, "Oh yeah, I think I, I feel like I I knew of it, but maybe from like a film school class or something like that." Because obviously, I wouldn't have noticed a an Agatha Christie movie <laughs> when I was ten years old. Uh, but I, again, I same as you. I tried finding it, and I I mean, it's not streaming. I couldn't find it on. I think there was a a VHS. Uh, no, there was a laser disc option. But it was like four hundred dollars. Crazy, right? <laughs> I, like, I don't know that $400 is worth the seven minutes we're going to talk about this movie. Yeah. No, no, no. Definitely not. Definitely not. Kyle, uh, I know you got some trivia for us, and then let us know after if you've seen it or not. Well, on the trivia, the source, Agatha Christie's novel is one of her favorites of the one she had written along with Crooked House in 1949. Faye Dunaway is less than a year older than Sarah Miles, who plays her adopted daughter. And Faye Dunaway's performance is seen entirely in flashback sequences and is also completely in black and white because all the flashbacks are in black and white. One of the film's main posters features thumbnail photos of the cast, has Dunaway's pictures like the others in color. I'm like you guys. One, I had really never heard of this movie till I saw it in the notes, and good luck finding it. Mm -hmm. I, you I'm know, sure I, it really happened. You know <laughs> what, though? I'm looking at this poster. It is a canon release. Canon released this film of course we know more canon for releasing really cool action movies and such but yeah it is a canon release well if anyone has seen this and can recommend it uh, let me know but i did want to put it out there because man there's a lot of good actors in there so there you go all right guys next we have angel january 13th 
uh, thriller suspense, uh, made just over $17 million. I'm going to read from the poster here. High school honor student by day, Hollywood hooker by night. Angel, who two, her two worlds are about to collide. It's her choice, her chance, her life. Molly, a high schooler, secretly earns a living as Angel, a street prostitute whose only family and friends are the ones she works with on the streets. She has to survive against a serial killer who is targeting people of her profession. Uh, this, of course, stars Donna Wilkes, uh, Cliff Gorman, uh, Susan Tyrell, and Dick Sean, directed by Robert Vincent O'Neill. Um, Kyle, before we get into it here, uh, tell us a little bit about the trivia. Donna Wilkes was 23 years old when she played the 15-year-old high school student prostitute. Rory Calhoun was, like his character, a former star of B-Westerns. Angel gained popularity on video, which helped spawn two sequels. And not only did two straight actors, Dick Sean and Susan Tyrell, portray gay characters, but their gay characters were co-leads, endearing and non-cliché. Sean plays a cross-dresser, which was rare during this time. Now, Kevin, I think you and I can at least agree, when you look up VHS hits of the 80s, Angel is in that book somewhere. Oh my God. Yes, it is definitely the, the uh, book that you gave me with all of the art and all that kind of stuff. This DVD or excuse me at the time VHS was so popular, always around there. And I have the DVD release of the angel trilogy. I have the first one angel. Next one is avenging angel. And the next one is angel three, the final chapter Uh, angel. The second one is actually another woman that plays angel. But the character that remains the same in all three is Rory Calhoun, who is the a Western star. And he's he's one of the guys that walks along Hollywood Boulevard and gets pictures with people because he's a former Western guy that's worked with a lot of famous people. And he quotes them in the uh, the movie. Uh, but of course, when you find out when you watch the film, guys, that the reason why she's doing what she's doing is because uh, she didn't want to be put in a, uh, a home for kids. She her parents are dead and she wants to go to school. And the only way she can pay for her apartment is doing what she's doing. And uh, it's an interesting look on uh, the life down there on Hollywood Boulevard. Kyle, your thoughts on angel. Um, it, it was one of those movies. I mean, the, it's the cover. Let's, let's, let's be honest. This, this is the case where the cover sells the movie, especially on the VHS. I know many a guys who tried to sneak, this rental past their parents and sometimes it worked <laughs> and sometimes it didn't. But um, yeah, th- this was just one of those, it, it was truly an, a staple of the mid eighties video rental store. You, you were, you could not be considered a video rental store if you did not have a copy of angel to rent on the shelves. All right, Lacey, I'm also afraid to ask, have you seen angel? <laughs> I, think I, saw, I think I saw one of them. I wanted to let you know though, that that, copy that you have that dvd that you have yeah it's a 200 dollars dvd um that what that particular dvd that you have is out of print this one here yeah and it's worth like 200 bucks on on uh ebay and amazon all those places on amazon no no it can't no way 189 dollars on amazon right now at this doesn't feel like an old uh, copy of it, though. You mean you're talking about the triple feature? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? It's the triple feature. Yeah, the Angel Collection. Yep. You know, I, I'm sure there's this. Has, this doesn't feel like an original copy of it. So, I, yeah, I don't know. Let I'm just saying it's out of print, and it's been out of print for a long time. Okay. 
You can actually find this on eBay for a lot cheaper, though. This mm -hmm. one here, though, first one comes up thirty three ninety nine. Mm, right there's on. one for th 34 there's one for 59.90 damn holy crap right You're right <laughs> this thing is not cheap yeah <laughs> Kevin, yeah. you might want to put that in the uh lock box yeah <laughs> if, if you want to if you if you want a new copy it's 189 dollars on amazon mm -hmm. it's actually there's actually a uh 47 dollars uh for there's a there's a payment plan for it if you if you're on Amazon <laughs> of like there's oh. a payment plan for the Angel trilogy that's fantastic. Well, yeah. um, I'm gonna take well, care. You're paying you're paying for three movies, so you know. Yeah. Mm. Uh, have you seen Angel, Lacey? Yeah, I there was okay. So there was a kind of a smattering of the kind of the 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 underage prostitute movies that came out like all around that time. And uh, maybe for the next few years, I don't know that I saw this one. I know that Linda Blair was in a couple of them. I know that Brooke Shields was in a couple of them. I know that there, but they were, it was one of those things where that really wasn't my jam. Um, I, I, so if I got, if I saw a part of it, I'd be like, can get click next, <laughs> next page, you know, next, next channel. You know, Kevin, it's, when I think about it, though, I don't remember Angel making like the big, like HBO Cinemax or Showtime run either. Yeah, it. Hmm. I, I only remember seeing it on on VHS. I, I don't yeah. remember that either. I, I didn't get pay channel till a lot later. But yeah, I just it was just an iconic cover, and you're like, wait a minute, girl in high school also a hooker. I'm in. You know. <laughs> well, they always had names like Angel or Pretty Baby or Daddy's yeah. Girl or Special Special Dot, like all these different. And we were just like, no, no, ew, no. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, anyway, I, it's, I like the other thing or the reason I like it too, is it's all shot near like Hollywood Boulevard. And I'm mm -hmm. very familiar with that area. And I love watching eighties films because so much has changed down there since then. And it's definitely gives you an idea on how tough things were down there. Cause it was nasty down there in eighties, just like it was in yeah. New York. Stuff, so, all right guys. So next we got this film that I was very curious about. It's called cover girl. Uh, I think it was straight to video. Uh, if I remember correctly. But um, it says, the, the poster says, they are the world's top models. During the day, they create fantasies, and at night, they live them. Cover girl. A moderately successful fashion model meets a wealthy entrepreneur who's determined to make her a superstar by controlling every aspect of her personal and professional life. But she's strong-minded and resistant to his methods. Directed by Jean-Claude Bord. Uh, stars Jeff Conway. Yes, that's Jeff Conway from Greece, Irene Ferris, and Kathy Sheriff. Now, Kyle, I'm going to have you mention, uh, we only got a little bit of trivia here, but I want to go back to it after you mention the trivia here. Okay, uh, Paulina Porzakova's debut. Yeah, supermodel. And, and Kevin, they spent a record time, so much time, so much effort into filming this. It filmed from August to November 1981. Paulina Porzakova. Supermodel, more famously known for uh, marrying Rico Kasich from the Cars, being in the movie with her called Her Alibi with uh, Tom Selleck. Very young in this, by the way. Now, I just want to say I actually enjoyed this. I found it streaming either on YouTube or something for free. I can't remember. Uh, there's no awards for acting in this, but it was actually entertaining to see the lifestyle of these models going through this time. I just want to mention it was like Star 80, but without the death and the horrible abuse that uh, she had to go through and eventually die in, in Star 80. 
But Jeff Conway, of, of course, is the wealthy entrepreneur. He is a dick in it. Uh, there is someone that does die due, due to suicide. So there's that. But I actually kind of enjoyed it. It was cheesy. It was fun. Um, I do recommend it. It is streaming somewhere. I just can't remember where at the time. But it was interesting to see what these girls do in their off time, the bonds that they have, and all the crap that they have to go through with men uh, constantly trying to uh, get in their faces and control their lives. Oh, their faces wasn't where those men were trying to get. (laughs) This is true, yes. (laughs) Um, I remember this, there were several kind of model-esque photo shoot um, cover girl uh, movies slash TV shows that came out this year. My favorite was cover up with John Eric Hexum, where it was a group of supermodels and photographers. And it was a front for their spy ring. They were uh, when did they, when did that come out again? That sounds familiar. Late, late 1984. It was started in 1984. So it would be September. Uh, of Unfortunately, that show is remembered for a much darker topic because yes, that was the yes, show yes. that John Eric Hexum accidentally killed himself on the set of. Yeah. Glenn A. Larson production. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jennifer Nurse. Yeah. yeah. Richard Nerson. Michael T. Williamson. I think this one was a little bit too adult for me. Yeah. Uh, the other was on primetime, so it was okay. Gotcha. All right, guys, I want to get into one of my favorite uh, comedy, sex comedies of all time, and that is Hot Dog the Movie. Uh, Very popular uh, comedy, made over $17 million in the theatrical release. A constant, uh, uh, you know, VHS rental, of course, in the uh, uh, your comedy section. Rated R for obvious reasons. Harlan Banks heads to skiing championships in california a teen runaway tags along as he as he parties and competes with friends and foes stars david naughton patrick hauser tracy smith and shannon tweed and um i was just telling everyone uh i had a little mishap um when uh before we started recording here guys uh lacy you've got the blu-ray um, apparently I need to upgrade to that because when I was trying to open up my DVD here that I have of hot dog and the movie, um, mm-hmm. I was trying to pull the DVD out and my DVD broke. Look, it broke. Oh, it's sad. It's sad. Oh. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Poor physical media. But it is. Tournament. What's that? Now you can turn it into a Christmas tree ornament. You cut it by three sides and then you, you put a little notch in the top. You can, you know, turn it into a, a post-apocalyptic DVD Christmas tree ornament. I'm so going to do that. And I'm going to think of you every time I put it on the tree next time. So there you go. Okay. So, uh, one of, I, this movie is really fun. I enjoy it for several reasons, obviously, but I actually like the, even though they're they're not great actors, I like the two young teens that team up and, you know, they eventually, you know, they, they get together and then they break up because Shannon Tweed and then they get back together. Some hilarious, uh, you know, skiing going on here with, of course, the, uh, I think it's the French ski guy who's a big dick and German. German. He's German. Okay. And uh, you know, so just one of those classes, a lot of ski films that came out and this was the one that probably stands over all of them. And uh, I'm going to have to upgrade like you did with the Blu-ray Lacey. What are your thoughts on hot dog, the movie up uh, and Kyle, when we come to you, you're going to give us a trivia. Okay. So first of all, upgrading is a great idea. This has a 50 minute um, um, documentary where David Naughton, who, I think it was like probably the 35th anniversary where they did the, the, and then this is the um, unrated producer's cut. 
Can you hold it up to the camera a little bit more? I want to get a good picture of that. There you go. Hot dog, unrated producer's cut. Very nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, here's the thing. Commentary, um, all kinds of crazy interviews. Um, the only person that they haven't, I don't know. There's only one person that wasn't available for the, the actual, the, apparently these guys, like every 10 years, they get together and do a convention. Oh, that's so cool. Like this big party time or whatever. Um, but yeah, David Naughton does a whole bunch of crazy, uh, like tells all kinds of fun stories of who was doing what, who shouldn't have been all this. Kind I love the fact that he's going out supporting another film uh, that's not, uh, you know, an American werewolf in London. Yeah. And he actually has great things to say about it. He was like, you know, everybody after American Werewolf in London, everything that he got was just, you know, horror movie after horror movie after prosthetics after prosthetics. And he was like some, his agent was like, Hey, I got this like ski. Do you know how to ski? And he was like, sure. I know how to ski, which was not exactly the truth at the time. Um, but uh, so apparently the production was very much um, like the show in that, um, everyone was sleeping with everyone else and everyone, and they were trying their best, like crew and everybody else, like trying to get together to get everyone together every morning. Yeah. Because if there was fresh powder, sometimes people would literally like take a powder. They'd go. And go now ski. when you say fresh powder, you mean snow, not cocaine, right? Yes. There was, there was no, <laughs> yeah, I think with this cast, it probably was both. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, he had nothing but great things to say about it. Um, the commentary is very, um, there's a little tea spilled on the commentary. I'll just say that. There's some little tidbits of information that um, that are kind of doled out of, of who was doing what with and to whom. Um, nice. But uh, yeah. All right. And I'm going ha to have to, the DVD will probably have the same special features as Blu-ray, but I don't get the Blu-ray. But does your, see, my DVD does come with a, a few special features that yours might not come with. Mm -hmm. uh, mine comes with standard modified to fit your screen and Ooh. comes with original theatrical trailer and English mono. That's awesome. Mine comes with production credits. <laughs> Hey, you win. And, and a, little, <laughs> a little interview. Um, nice. Okay. Also, nice. Interestingly enough, this is the first time a movie had been called something the movie. And it was David Naughton, like while they were sitting there talking, trying to figure out what they were going to call the movie. You know, because. Wait a minute. Wasn't Kentucky Fried Chicken the movie also called the movie? Kentucky Fried Chicken the movie? No, that was Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, Kentucky. You're right. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, yeah. you got us some trivia for this, please. And then let well, us know if you have seen it. Miss Queen of Movie Food stole the first trivia because David Naughton came up with the title for this film. Oh, none of none of the lead actors could ski. Patrick Hauser, in particular, was brought up a week early for ski lessons, but never looked comfortable. So most shots of the leads on skis are in close up. Lynn Wyland, who played Michelle, a.k.a. Banana Pants, was a member of the United States Freestyle Ski Team from 1979 to 1981. She was also the 1981 U.S. Champion in Aerials and 1981 U.S. Canadian Champion in Moguls. She said in a 2016 interview with Outside Magazine that she was in four Greg Stump skiing movies, two Warren Miller skiing movies, and had covers on Powder and Skiing magazines. But people still remember her as Banana Pants decades later, and she's fine with that. She had a great time making the movie. Nice. So, so I, I, I just need to comment, because this is such a fun comedy movie, and a, continuing the sex comedy theme that was rampant through 1983, but any movie that has the Gene Simmons kryptonite in it, Shannon Tweed, 
it's my stamp of approval. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is really the first one. Um, this was 84. Then you had a couple in like, like one in 86, one in 89. And then, cause you know, ski school and ski patrol didn't come out for three or four years after this. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and then like, I think it was like 94 or 95 or maybe even early two thousands when um, out cold happened. Um, but this was kind of the first one that was no pun intended, a balls out comedy on a ski slope. Yeah. And it, it's funny. And of course it has your nudity and, but I just, I gotta tell you, I really liked the, the two young kids in this film. I, I thought they were, you know, a cute couple. And you know. the only thing that bugs me though, is like the lead kid does the typical, like, Oh, I'm going to sing a song on acoustic yep. guitar for the girl. It's so cheesy, but I love it. <laughs> it's so 80s. It's so 1984. I mean, it's really, it's really 80s. All right. Next one I've been excited to talk about because I've been wanting to get it. I've been wanting, I had not heard of this film until I did the research for 1980. And it is hilarious. It is called Surf 2, the end of the trilogy. Yes, there was no Surf 1. And yes, there was no Surf 3, and it was called Surf 2. And the poster says, a movie that gives insanity a bad name. Surf 2, the end of the trilogy. A disgruntled nerd who was bullied in high school creates Buzz Cola, a soft drink that turns surfers into mindless zombies. Directed by Randall M. Badat, stars Eddie Deason, Linda Carriage, Terry Kaiser, Eric Stoltz, Cleave on Little and more. Yes, that Cleave on Little. Uh, and let's, Lacey, let's show our copies here because we have the same copy, I believe, our Blu-rays. Yeah, I think <laughs> yours I think yours came with a, a cover. I, mine did not have a slip cover on mine. Oh, yours didn't come with a slip cover? Okay. No, yeah. I mean, it's got the same, this, the, um, it, it has the same um, thing. Mine's just on the inside. Gotcha. Yeah. It comes with a little, little, little book too. Yeah. Right. Hey, wait, are you saying one of yours is bigger on the inside? <laughs> no, it's just, that, um, we flipped it over. Like his, his, his has this as the outside. Mine has uh, this as the inside outside. Yeah. Um, I, I have a, so, yeah. So I, uh, I watched this film. I did not watch it with the audio commentary, which I want to get your uh, thoughts on it though. But D I just want to mention that um, Eddie Deason has been in a lot of films, Grease, of course, uh, and he's kind of he always plays that nerdy kid. And uh, you, you, when you see him, you'll recognize him. But I like I, this movie was a lot of fun for uh, several reasons, and it was filmed in uh, like a bunch of areas down in L.A. and, and uh, um, Malibu, a, a lot of uh, beach areas there. But one of the things that I loved about it is that it had Dick Dale, who, if you don't know, is a surf music legend. He's very famous for creating a lot of those surf mu music jams. And he was on there. Uh, and I just thoroughly enjoyed this. I love the idea of these guys who are surfers. And this nerd creates this soda that turns them into zombies. <laughs> and he had he had his own little like zombie uh, underwater like hideout. And it's just really silly. <laughs> Lacey, I want you to talk about, you said that you watched the audio commentary with um, Eddie Deason and uh, it was pretty funny. Yes. Okay. First of all, there are two different versions. There's the theatrical and then there's the director's cut. Um, 
much like we were talking about on payback, uh, the studio started saying that they wanted certain things to be involved. And the director was like, no, that's silly. This is my vision. Um, and so he got ousted. They spent a little bit more money and put a whole bunch more like TNA in it, cut a bunch of plot points out, took out a bunch of the zombie stuff and just put a bunch more boobs in it. Um, I watched both versions Plus, each one of them had two commentaries. So I watched this movie six times in three days. <laughs> that is impressive. I love it. Um, Eddie Deason, like, I just want to be best friends with him. He was so funny and so, like, he was so genuine that even though his commentary, his commentary is very much, you know, I was telling you the last movie, they, like, somebody was spilling a little bit of tea. This guy goes kind of full out talking about, you know, Oh yeah, she was super nice, but she was on drugs all the time. She had this one lady who was with her and she was kind of like her handler or something, but I truly think that she was just bringing her drugs and I don't know, but I think this is her <laughs> last movie because I think she died. I think she overdosed. I think she died soon after. Like just talking about all these and he was just but it's not malicious. Like he's just got this smile the whole time. You can hear him smiling. Like everything nice. he says, he should like, and he's talking yeah. about how nice everybody was and how, you know, the b- production was kind of, uh, you know, shoestring budget and stuff. And there's, you know, a particular shot where, t- uh, what's his name's up on the ladder, like painting the sign on the surf shop. And he's yeah. actually correcting it because it, it was supposed to be a sign that said they were selling surfboards and they did, they forgot the F. So they made it like he he, for, he painted it himself, and he was just. I mean, he just gave all these little fun details. Um, if you're going to watch one of the commentaries, that's the one I recommend. Kyle, you have some trivia for us. Well, as you said earlier, despite the title suggesting so, there never was a surf one. Originally announced as a 3D production in Variety 1982, hyping actress Linda Carriage at the Cannes Film Market, the movie was subsequently was filmed without the 3D gimmick. Though some setups do seem to. T- be set up to take advantage of 3D photography. Some of the items removed from the Zombie Surfer's digestive tract include a carburetor, Jay Hoffa's underwear, a wooden plank with Orca written on it, an homage to Jaws, an audio tape, a mirror, and a stingray. And as Lacey was talking about, there is a director's cut on the Blu-ray disc that runs 100 minutes. But Kevin, I have a question for you. Yes. Does the name, one or two names bring mean anything to you, either Joe Bob Briggs or Rhonda Shear? Joe Bob Briggs for sure, dude. This feels like a Joe Bob Briggs movie that you would see. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I did want to mention, I went down the rabbit hole because of one of the actresses in this film because I've always had a little crush on her because she's always played like the girlfriend or she's always played the the one of the friends and that's Corrine Borer, uh, B-O-H-R-E. Uh, e R. She has kind of like round cheeks, long blonde hair, and she's one of the girl. She's one of the girls in this, the girlfriends, and she's also gets turned into the zombie, one of the zombies at the end, uh, and then it gets freed, of course. But I was like, I've seen her in so many things, and I was going like, I was trying to remember, like I know she was in a television series, and she was probably more famous for uh, what was it? Uh, she was. Veronica Mars's mom in the Veronica Mars series. She yes, also was Laura Mars. in Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. She was in The Flash for an episode. But I remember her in this short-lived TV series because I watched it until they canceled the show. 
from 89 to 90 called Free Spirit, and her name was Winnie Goodwin. She was an immortal witch, like Bewitched, reluctantly sent earthward to do pro bono work with a mortal American family. And she ends up becoming like the housekeeper, basically. And it's basically like the 80s slash 90s version of Bewitched. But this series is more famous for um, uh, it stars Allison Hannigan before her before her um, uh, Willow character uh, in Buffy. And she is one of the daughters in this. So, yeah. Uh, and, and I ended up going on the, and because of this darn movie surf too, I ended up watching like four or five episodes on YouTube of this series called free spirit. Cause she's just really cute. She's very funny. She's very sweet. And I might've crushed on her. A little bit. I always just remember her as Bobcat Goldthwait's girlfriend in police Academy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Little thing where he, they started like barking or growling at each other. And I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, and, I, what? And I believe she married Booger in revenge of the nerds she was in that i think she was like the girlfriend or something like that if i if i vaguely vaguely remember so yeah anyway highly recommend it thumbs up for me Lacey. what do you say um definitely something to watch uh don't don't um let's just manage expectations we'll just say that yeah yeah just go on low expectations and have fun but definitely if you're gonna watch it do the commentary man after you watch like listen to the commentary because eddie deason is hilarious yeah. yeah, that's my next thing that I want to do with that for sure. So, all right, guys, next we have the buddy system. Uh, this uh, came out uh, January 20th of 1984, uh, only made just under $2 million. And the uh, poster says, one day, 11-year-old Timmy decided his mother needed a playmate, the buddy system. A quiet school truant officer, Joe, uncovers a young boy's attempt to fake a residential address and gets involved romantically with the boy's mother. The truant officer waffles between a sadistic relationship with his on-again, off-again girlfriend and the mother uh, of this of this kid. And this stars Richard Dreyfuss, Susan Sarandon, Nancy Allen, and a young Will Wheaton, guys. I can't find this damn movie anywhere. I tried to watch this. It, it kind of feels like a parent trap situation, so to speak. Uh, Kyle, you got us some trivia first. Why don't you go into that first? I do have some trivia. Actor Richard Dreyfuss would later play the grown-up version of the film's Tim Price, Will Wheaton's character in Stand By Me. Actor Will Wheaton received an introducing credit despite having appeared in television productions dating back to 1981, doing voice work in the animated movie The Secret of Nim, and appeared in the feature film Hambone and Hilly. The picture was originally scheduled to open in the summer of 1983, according to an article published in the 6th November 1983 edition of the Los Angeles Herald Examiner. However, the 20th Century Fox Studio deferred its release stateside until late January 1984 with the movie opening on about the 20th of the month. That kind of delay, are we sure there wasn't some kind of strike? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, is that it, Kyle? Is that it for the trivia? That, that is it for the trivia. All right. Uh, Lacey, have you heard of this, The Buddy System? I remember seeing this movie when I was a kid. Like, I remember wow. seeing this maybe... I don't know, like TNT or TBS or something like channel, one of the like channel 46 or 13 kind of things. Um, but yeah, I do remember seeing it. Um, but after that, like, I can't tell you anything about it. Like I remember it's like that one Gary Coleman movie that I know I saw that I can't figure out the name of, do you know what I mean? Like there's always that right. one, that one Will Wheaton movie that I know I couldn't figure out the name of. And then I saw this and I was like, Oh, that's that movie. <laughs> like, I remember that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, this is one I I can't find anywhere. I just found like uh, you know, I, it was a um, a trailer, I guess for for it and stuff like that. But I, it wasn't playing anywhere. Yeah, I I, I want to see this. I want to see Will Wheaton trying to set up these people. I thought that was kind of cute. So yeah, Kyle, do you have something else? Um, no, I'm like you, Kevin. I haven't been able to find this movie. So yeah. All right. So the buddy system guys help us find it. We want to check it out. Next, we have Scandalous. Uh, only made about $500,000 in the uh, uh, theater release. A comedy about adultery, blackmail, murder, and other indoor sports. <laughs> mm -hmm. An investigator reporter follows an espionage story, uh, goes to London, and gets involved with murder, scam artist, and rock concerts. Rock concerts directed by Rob Cohen, writers Larry Cohen, Rob Cohen. Those names may sound familiar. Stars Robert Hayes, Ron Travis, E. Emmett Walsh, Pamela Stevenson. Kyle, what's some trivia you got? Trivia is that this was co-writer and director Rob Cohen and co-writer Larry Cohen's No Relation, Only Movie Collaboration. This was the first comedy in which Sir John Glud, I mean, I know I just burst Gilgood, John Gilgood. 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 Appeared yeah, after winning a Best Actor in a Supporting Role Academy Award for Arthur in 1981. Usually known as a blonde, actress, comedian, Pamela Stevenson sports three hair colors in this movie, black, blonde, and auburn. So I tried to find this movie on YouTube, but I can't find this movie, the whole movie anyway. But I'll tell you what, guys, you can watch the trailers for this. But there is a video on YouTube that shows like about 10 minutes of it. I believe it's from the beginning of it or a portion of it where... Um, uh, John Gielgud meets up with Robert Hayes in punk outfits at a Bow Wow Wow concert. For those of you who don't know who Bow Wow Wow is, more famous for uh, I Want Candy, the cover they did with uh, a very young singer at the time. And if you were anywhere near MTV, that video was very popular. But you actually get to see like a whole song of their concert live on stage, which was actually pretty darn cool. But I I couldn't find the rest of this movie anywhere. Uh, but I I just found it interesting that the Cohen brothers were, were did this film, and I, I'm a fan of Robert Hayes. I kind of want to see the rest of this here, especially John Gilgood being dressed up as a punk. I thought it was very funny. Lacey, have you heard of Scandalous? No, I believe these are different Cohens though, because didn't you just say they weren't related? Yeah, they're not related. This is not the Cohen. Not brothers. the same Cohens. Uh, they sure sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that I saw this. Although when you say John Gilgood in like wearing like punk rock attire, like I know I saw that. Oh, Rob Cohen, by the way, he's the one that has done the action films uh, like Dragonheart, uh, XXX, uh, Stealth. I think he did one of the, um, the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, the first. Yeah, that's right. Did one of the Fast Fast and Furious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he's known as kind of an, an action director that, yeah, that is Rob right. Cohen. Yeah. Got it. Um, and God yeah. bless Pamela Stevenson. She was trying to have a moment right now because she was coming off of being in a Superman film. Was it a good Superman film? No, it wasn't, but she was still trying to have a moment. <laughs> <laughs> but different Cohen's. All right. Well, um, the next film guys is, one I really want to see. I saw a trailer for it because I can't find this anywhere. And this is kind of a, a hidden film I never heard of starring Steve Martin called The Lonely Guy. A romantic comedy made just under $5 million. Opened up January 27th, 1984. 
and and here's what the poster says. He's on a he's on a bike with a dog with a girl chasing him. And they love to put long stuff on posters. And this one says he was young, free, and eligible. Real eligible. When his girlfriend left him, he tried his best to meet all kinds of women. Women, lawyers, teachers, secretaries, any women. But he just wasn't succeeding. He was still lonely. So lonely, he wrote a book about it. And then things began to change. He became successful and famous. Larry was an overnight sensation. But he was still a lonely guy. And just when he thought... He'd never find the girl of his dreams. She found him. And that's when his troubles really started. <laughs> Lonely Guy starring Steve Martin, Charles Grodin, Judith Ivy, Robin Douglas. Arthur Hiller is the director. Can't find this movie anywhere, guys. Uh, before we talk about it, Kyle, what is... She's got a Blu-ray. What the hell? Where did you find that? Amazon. Is it really on Amazon? Yeah, I think it was like 11 bucks. It was not very expensive. Damn it. Okay, we're going to come to you in a second. Kyle, okay. give us some trivia because I really wanted to watch this for the podcast. <laughs> Steve Martin claims that he and Charles Gordon improvised 30% of their dialogue. I completely believe that. Charles Gordon appeared in this movie without his toupee. In an early film role, actor Andy Garcia appeared in the film Uncredited. And finally, the scene depicted on the film's main American movie poster, that of Steve Martin riding on a two-seater bicycle with a dog, is not actually seen in the movie. False advertising. <laughs> All right. So let's go to Lacey here, because apparently she's seen the film because she found the Blu-ray. Yes. <laughs> uh, give us your thoughts on Steve Martin in The Lonely Guy. I just tell you right now, the trailer looked funny. Okay. So Steve Martin is hilarious as always, but I got to tell you, man, Charles Grodin, his character, like there's a, because the whole concept is that, you know, anytime a man gets dumped, he's a lonely guy because it's always the women doing the dumping. It's a very, um, there, there are very specific um, lines drawn in gender roles. Um, anyway, so Charles Grodin, I mean, he's such a lonely guy that he invites Steve Martin to his house for a party. And when Steve Martin shows up, everyone else at the party is like, like, like stand up, like stand up cutouts of like Dolly Parton and, you know, Telly Savalas, you know, these like those cutouts that you, <laughs> um, there is a, I don't know if you want to go with like trigger warning, but suicide is a heavy influence in this. Like apparently like every time there's a newscast on in the background, it talks about how X number of more lonely guys have jumped off the bridge. Oh, geez. And, and at one point in time or another, both Steve Martin and Charles Grodin are on that bridge about. To <laughs> jump. Um, but let me say Judith Ivy is, she steals the movie. She's absolutely hilarious. Um, she's just, I can't even say anything without ruining it. I know it's 40 years old, but I'm going to maintain the spoiler free because I know you haven't seen it and you want to. Okay. I need to ask your opinion on this. Okay. I have it up on Amazon right here. Yeah. Blu-ray is 1749. Okay. There's only 15 left in stock or the DVD 999. Uh, which one should I get? There are no special features on this DVD. It is. So uh, that's the only thing. Um, I don't, and honestly, I don't know even if there are special features on the DVD. For me, if if it's, uh, usually I'll go in and whichever one's cheaper if there's no special features. So they must have been running a sale because I got, I think it was 11 bucks when I got it. 
Okay. All right. A couple of weeks to get. Well, Well, I I think right at Black Friday. So maybe they were having a sale a little bit, a little bit back. Kyle, have you heard of this film at all? I've heard of the film, but I've never seen the film. And it's one of those things too. This is a pretty early for Steve Martin, but there needs to be at some point here, a Charles Grodin conversation because I still believe to this day, he is still way underappreciated. And I know he, there's a lot of people out there who are big fans of him, but he, he is an iconic eighties actor, especially in that early eighties when you start talking midnight run and things like that. But yeah. Um, haven't seen this, heard of it, but haven't seen it. But I feel that way about a lot of Steve Martin movies. There's a lot of Steve Martin movies I like I've heard of, but I don't necessarily have seen them. Right. I would say Charles Grodin would probably be a good one to do like a, a, a retrospective on. He's done some really interesting stuff and a lot of different types of things. He's yeah, he's a classic actor. I mean, he's he is. A, I think he is underrated, Kyle. I really do. Really do. His his uh, role in the movie uh, Dave with Kevin. Mm-hmm. Oh, love that movie. He's only in it for like eight minutes or something. He is absolutely fantastic. It's hilarious. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get my uh, $9.99 on Amazon right here because I got to watch this movie. I'm really curious about that. So there I am going, I can't find it anywhere. And then Lacey's just slowly holding up in front of the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, queen of movie foo. Well played. All right, guys. That wraps it up for our movies of 1984 January, but we do have a couple on the cutting room floor guys. And I'm going to mention them briefly because Kyle, I want you to read the trivia that I found fascinating though, for this movie called violated violated uh, as an actress in New York city that goes against a group of gangsters who are abusing her party girl friends starring JC Quinn, John Hurt and Daniel Balin. Uh, but there's an interesting trivia in this Kyle. Yeah, don't first let me make sure I get my neuralizer out because I gotta have to make everybody forget this after I say it because I'm sure he would like for us to all forget about it. <laughs> Future Men in Black director Barry Sonnenfield worked on this movie as the additional photographer. There you go. There hey, you go. everybody's gotta start somewhere. Yeah, I mean, yep. it's not a movie I want to see, but that's okay. And then next we have Slayground. <laughs> Welcome to your funeral. Thieves run over a child while escaping after robbery. A deadly hitman who looks like to taunt his targets is hired to track them down. His name is Stone, I guess. Moves to England, but he his but the assassin follows. Loosely based on Donald Westlake's cult crime novel, director Terry Bedford stars Peter Coyote, Mel Smith, and Billy Whitefield. That's all I got for can you. I, can I can I can I ask you a question? You mentioned Peter Coyote. How are we feeling yes. about Peter Coyote? Is he underrated overrated kind of like he is underrated he is underrated uh he is also more famous probably for the keys guy in et you know but he is in one of my favorite movies that no one's ever heard of that came out i believe this year that we will be discussing called heartbreakers look it up right now because if it is an 84 film which i believe it is we will be discussing it because it is hard to find and I love it. And I think I have a VHS copy of it somewhere. If I is that the one where he plays the theater director? Uh, I can't remember, but it's he and his friend that are living in New York, uh, dealing with uh, ladies and relationships and problems. Mm. And they're very good friends and uh, they're both going through struggles and stuff. And it was, it was a very good film. I really enjoyed it. And he was great in it. Yeah. But uh, Kyle, to answer your question, uh, 
You know, I've liked him in everything I've seen him in. I don't know, was, what do you think? What was the movie he was in with um, Bette Midler and Shelley Long, where he was the spy and he was pa- he was dating them both so he could pass notes back and forth to other spies? Uh, I can't remember, Kyle. Like Outrageous Fortune no. or something. I don't know. I can't. It was. I feel like it was this year, maybe 80, 80, 46, somewhere in there. We'll see. I'll look hmm, it up. Okay. I'll figure it out. All right. All right, so uh, guys, we've got some uh, top grossing movies in 1984, and guess what? None of them happened in January. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get into that later when they do start hitting there. But yeah, none of them came out in January. So guys, I want to get your uh, final thoughts on this first month. Here's some interesting stuff came out, you know, especially when it comes to TV and some music and stuff. Kyle, let's start with you. I, I think this is one of those times in Time Warp, and we 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 have especially going monthly now where we, it allows us to focus more on some of these things like TV and especially because there are some months, especially in the early years of the way movies were released during this time frame, that are just, it's bare bones. You might get one or two, something that's halfway interesting to talk about, but it's pretty empty, but that gives you the opportunity to explore more of the um, culture, pop culture and the TV and other things. And I think this is yep. Coming one of the cases as we continue to go through the 80s, because I really feel like it wasn't until the 2000s where we really started getting more impactful movies in the early months of the year, because it started changing because everybody wanted to have that Oscar Oscar thing towards the first of the year because they wanted it to be prominent in people's minds. But it, it'll be interesting. However, I do know that um, there is a very influential movie coming up in the next time warp. Very true. Very true. Uh, we'll tease that in a second here. Uh, Lacey, let's get your final thoughts uh, on this month's episode of Time Warp 1984, January. I think I think there's a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, let's face it. We managed to talk for 30 minutes just on the three movies that we did find. You know, I mean, maybe we're able to go a little bit more in depth on them. And I think that's kind of fun. Um, I think that one of the big things that happened in the 80s is, you know, especially the mid eighties, there were a lot of, of technical strikes. So you'd maybe have like the, you know, one of the, one of the labor unions would go on strike. So whether it was something in New York where the city shut down or something that was in on strike within the film industry, it took so long to, to film a movie and then cut a movie and then release a movie. A lot of times these strikes would happen, you know, in September, for some reason, that's when all the pay hikes and all that kind of stuff would happen. So if you've got September and you've got a movie that takes three months to film and another month to cut, you don't have anything in January or February for that matter. So right. a lot of these, I think that I, I really do remember there being every time I turned around, you know, and again, 11 years old, not paying attention to the news that much, but there was always conversation of like, oh, there's another strike. Oh, there's another strike. You know, so maybe that had something to do with it. It's a good point. Yeah. You know, and to, to kind of echo what Kyle says is that one of the things that we wanted to do with time work for this year, because we are going to be going monthly as opposed to like quarterly or just like, you know, covering a couple months at a time is it gives us a chance to dive into some other stuff uh, because obviously we celebrate the movies, but there is so much pop culture and we love to take you back and go back into time here. And let me just tell you guys, like I said, I don't want to tease too much right now, but 84 has got some classic movies where that's probably pretty much where, when it comes to the movies, we may only be discussing those movies because there is so much to talk about. But coming up, of course, as we continue to celebrate the movies in 1984 here on the Fandom Podcast Network, Time Warp is going to be looking at 
February of next uh, next month, Jan- uh, after, of course, January. And some very interesting things that we're going to be touching on here, of course, Footloose. We're going to be talking about that. Blame it on Real, which I'm excited to watch for the very first time. I've never seen it. Have it on DVD. Uh, Stranger's Kiss. Lassiter, which I do own on DVD. Uh, Crackers and more, of course, Webster, Remington Steel, and Duran Duran will be mentioned again. So there we go. Hey, Kyle. Can I, can I, I, I'm feeling my Kenny Loggins coming on here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I watched Footloose and the remake back to back, and I have thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah. My friend Anessa is in the remake. What's that? My friend Anessa is in the remake. All right. Well, make sure you watch the remake, Lacey. Again, don't remember it because I want to talk about some comparisons on that. And Kyle, have okay. you watched the remake of Footloose? Uh, I've watched it. I've tried to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I suggest giving it a watch again because there's some stuff that I need to talk about regarding that. And by the way, uh, the hot dog, the movie Blu-ray is out of stock on Amazon. So maybe I should just do the DVD. I don't know. No, wait. The, I don't. Well, I don't know what the special features are on the Blu-ray on the DVD, but the Blu-ray, the commentary on the Blu-ray is is worth it. Okay. Well, I'll find out, but uh, I'm definitely going to uh, um, get uh, uh, the Lonely Guy because it's 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 only it's only ten bucks. So. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, guys. Let's go ahead and close things out here on the Fandom Podcast Network. Uh, thank you, guys, of course, for listening and watching. Uh, you can find the Fandom Podcast Network uh, audio master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. Of course, if you're watching this video, thank you very much. Uh, if you're listening to this audio podcast, make sure you go check out the video. Uh, give us a like and a share because we're sharing, of course, all the pictures of the posters and some other fun stuff on there, of uh, the TV series and such. Uh, please subscribe and share us out there, of course, on the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel. Uh, Fandom Podcast Network is on all major uh, platforms, including uh, uh, podcast platforms, of course, uh, including Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Fandom Podcast Network is on Facebook. You can email us at Fandom Podcast Network network at gmail.com and also find the fandom podcast network on twitter and instagram my name is kevin reitzel i am on um x twitter instagram and threads at spartan underscore phoenix kyle where can we find you you can find me on uh twitter slash x at a kyle w or you can find me on um instagram threads at a kyle fandom i just want to say to here's how powerful the magic of the movies of 1984 are I got the greatest text I've ever gotten during this during this podcast because I was informed your service is complete. You do not need to report to jury duty tomorrow. I give credit <laughs> to this 1984 podcast. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, Lacey, how can we find you? Uh, well, uh, binoculars. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not really, I, I'm not very active on social media, but you can, I don't know. Facebook stalk me. Um, I'm on X, I think it is. Uh, but most of the time I'm just on, on the, on the podcast with these fellas. It's true. And mm-hmm. we love you for it. Appreciate that very, very much. All right, guys. Well, uh, I did want to mention too, Kyle, I got a text from my coworker because we did that hair metal, uh, super band draft that went over very well. We just released it today as, as of this recording. And he liked the concept so much. He just texted me his, uh, hair metal super group band and he was talking to it with his girlfriend and she was so excited about it that he sent me her, her hair metal super group. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> people love the idea. Check out the podcast. Uh, 
if you're a big fan of that genre, it is, of course, on the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel. Well, thank you so much. Again, I would like to thank my guest, Lacey and Kyle. This has been Time Warp 1984 Part 1, the 40th anniversary of movies and pop culture, January 1984. And until next time, we will see you in All right, guys, I want to get into one of my favorite uh, comedy, sex comedies of all time, and that is Hot Dog the Movie. Uh, very popular uh, comedy, made over $17 million in the theatrical release. A constant, uh, uh, you know, VHS rental, of course, in the uh, uh, your comedy section. Rated R for obvious reasons. Harlan Banks heads to skiing championships in california a teen runaway tags along as he as he parties and competes with friends and foes stars david naughton patrick hauser tracy smith and shannon tweed and um i was just telling everyone uh i had a little mishap um when uh before we started recording here guys uh lacy you've got the blu-ray um, apparently I need to upgrade to that because when I was trying to open up my DVD here that I have of hot dog and the movie, um, mm -hmm. I was trying to pull the DVD out and my DVD broke. Look, it broke. Oh, it's sad. It's sad. Oh. Yeah. Oh, anyway. the poor physical no, media. But it is. Tournament. What's that? Now you can turn it into a Christmas tree ornament. You cut it by three sides and then you, you put a little notch in the top. You can, you know, turn it into a, a post-apocalyptic DVD Christmas tree ornament. I'm so going to do that. And I'm right. going to think of you every time I put it on the tree next time. So there you go. Okay. So, uh, what, a, I, this movie is really fun. I enjoy it for several reasons, obviously, but I actually like the, even though they're, they're not great actors, I like,